Welcome to The Automators. I'm David Sparks, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rosemary Orchard. Hello, Rose. Hey, how are you doing today, David? I am excellent, and we have a guest on the show that I have been looking forward to having on. Welcome to the show, Jeff Richardson. And I have looked forward to being on this show after listening to it since episode one. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Um, So Jeff is a a friend of mine. We have spoken together and done some various things. He's a a Mac nerd, uh, but he happens to run a little-known website called iPhone JD, which by little-known means every lawyer with an iPhone is practically reading it. So that's awesome. And um, and Jeff is as a tech geek and a nerd and a lawyer. And, you know, we had a rule on the show, Jeff, that, that we can only have one lawyer on the show at a time. Good good thing you hung up your hat a few weeks ago, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it made room, made room for you to come in. But but uh, I want to just talk about Jeff for a minute before we get into the, the show today, because we hear a lot from listeners of the show. And, and I hear a lot from people saying, man, I love automators, but I always just, it's just too much. I get lost or whatever. And I know sometimes we go super nerdy, but that's really not the point of the show. To me, the point is, does this sound like an opening statement, Jeff? I'm not sure. Maybe it does. <laughs> I'll object if you go too far. <laughs> the, the point of the statement, is, the show is the um, uh, that you know anybody can do this. Like, did you see that little that little Disney movie with the rat? You know, Ratatouille. Absolutely. Yeah. Anybody can cook. Anybody can automate. And and Jeff is not a programmer by trade. He's a guy who's trying to make a living. You know, taking care of his clients, but he's doing a bunch of automation. And when I knew Jeff was kind of getting into this stuff, I said, "We got to get you on." So so thanks for coming on, Jeff. Thanks, thanks. And I appreciate it because I, I at first never thought I would be worthy of being on a show like this because, like you say, I am not one of these total nerds. But having said that, as I was thinking of automations that I use in daily life in preparation for the show, I was almost surprised how many that I use um, because it's nice being more efficient. So uh, so hopefully some of the tips that I talk about today will be useful to others as well. I, I do think that um, as good automations tend to fall off your memory. Like, you mm-hmm. set them up and they just start working and you don't think about them anymore. And that that's actually a good automation. Yeah. Agreed. So Jeff, how'd you get started on all this? Well, you know, a couple of weeks ago, y'all had Dave Hamilton on the show. And when you asked him that same question, he talked about his first computer being a Timex Sinclair, um, which uh, made me laugh because my first computer was the precursor to that, the Sinclair ZX81, which unlike the Timex Sinclair, which had 2K of memory, my first computer had only 1K of memory. Efficiency was definitely required. Now I had an expansion port and some other things for it, an external keyboard and everything else. But when I think back to that Sinclair ZX81, right there on the keyboard, one of the unique things about it is that it had printed commands on the keys so that when you were mm. you know, typing basic and if you had to put you know, print or something, in addition, you didn't actually have to type P-R-I-N-T. You could actually just put your finger on the P key, which on the built-in keyboard was a membrane, and it would write the word print. And you knew that was going to happen because when you looked at your keyboard, printed above the P key is the word print, and printed above the G key is the word go to. So, I mean, literally since day one of me using my own computer, I was, you know, pressing one letter to have an entire word appear which is really sort of, you know, the basics of automation, right? And so I have been um, using automation in one form or another uh, since then. After my uh, Sinclair computer, I had a Commodore 64, and then I finally moved on to my first Mac in 1988, a Mac Plus. And it wasn't long after I started using the Mac Plus that I remember using a program called Type It For Me, 
which was uh, written by uh, Ricardo uh, Ator, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And that software, which I used in the 80s, is actually still around today, <laughs> which is amazing. I yeah. use a, a competitor today called Text Expander, but, um, but it's amazing that I've been doing some form of automation for that long. Yeah, it's really hard anytime someone talks about old computers for me to not like follow you down that rabbit hole. But yeah, we could talk about the, that for two hours. That's that a different time. Podcast, Sinclair <laughs> was I, I, that was probably the first object of lust in my life. I wanted that because I remember it was like they sold it at like department stores and it was like a hundred dollars or something. Mm-hmm. And, and it had a thermal printer. I remember it had like a little thermal printer thing you could plug into it. And man, I, wanted I had that, that printer. I wanted it so bad, but my parents are like, we're not spending that much money on <laughs> you know this but it, it, yeah i get it okay so i'm gonna leave that there but but yeah i i do think that it's entry interesting that so many people start automation with text because that is obviously something we do a lot on computers and a very natural like uh, place to start automating what are you doing with text expander these days i mean so you've you've been on this journey with text automation for a long time yeah, in fact, you know, a lot of the text automation that I'm doing is, um, I mean, let me start by saying that I use all sorts of different platforms. I, I use, I've been a Mac user at home since the 1980s. I have been a PC user since my law firm switched over from the Mac to the PC in the early 2000s because at the time there yeah. wasn't a lot of uh, legal software for the Mac, that which has fortunately gotten better. But so I use PC at work, Mac at home, but my real love are my iPhone and iPad, my iOS devices. And so, I mean, that's where I've, I get so much work done, you know, sometimes exclusively or sometimes as, uh, you know, a, a complement to the PC or Mac. And so a lot of the of the automation text expansion and stuff that I'm doing is, is on the iPhone. And although I do want to talk about text expander, you know, the most basic thing that I use and like the number one tip I give so many people is to use the built-in iOS text expansion which anyone can get to. You don't have to buy anything extra. You just yeah. go to the settings app and you go to general and then keyboards and then text replacement. And you can say, every time I type this, I want you to put that. And I suspect most folks listening to this podcast know about this. But let me let me share some examples of things that I do because maybe one of these will sort of you know make you think of something in your own life. You know, some of what I do is just straight up text expansion. For example, um, I often have to, as a lawyer, I have to record my time so that I can bill my client at the end of the month. And so I might often use a phrase like telephone conference with Mr. Sparks to discuss such and such. But I don't want to take that phrase over and over again. So I have a program that anytime that I put TCW, which are not three letters I would normally type together, it changes it yeah. to telephone conference with or RCF is review correspondence from. So like that, that's the basic form of it. And I feel like that's sort of what it was designed for in the first place. Um, but I also use it for things that I just don't feel like, you know, maybe sort of a one step aside from that is something like typing email addresses because you don't mm-hmm. want to have to type your email address, not only because it's longer, but you also don't want to make a mistake. I mean, last thing you want to do is put a stray character in the middle of your email address and then someone, you know, has it wrong. So I have a little shortcut that if I ever type JJ, because my name is Jeff, so J and another J, and then with a third letter, it will type the email address. So my my law firm, Adams and Reese, is ARLaw.com. So if I type JJA, it does Jeff.Richardson at ARLaw.com. If I yeah. do JJI, it's Jeff at iPhoneJD.com, et cetera, et cetera. So that's really useful. Rose, how do you automate? I mean, what is your, everybody's got like a, a snippet code for their email. What, which one do you use? 
Uh, so I do whatever the handle is followed by at. Um, so for example, um, if I, yeah, you're using my regular email address, it's contact at, and then it fills in rosemaryorchard.com. I also do like other ones, like I've got feeds for all of the RSS feed type things that I would use um, and work as well, which I've just called generic work at because that actually replaces it with my work email address rather than one of my email addresses. But I always use the handle followed by at um, just because my brain quite likes that, it seems. What about you? Uh, for me, it's always, I just do E followed by it like, E David is personal. E law is law. Uh, e spark is sparky, you know, and I just, just put E with whatever, but you know, everybody has a different way to do it, but man, if you're not automating your email address, you mm-hmm. should because yeah, <laughs> a lot of the times iOS in particular does a really good job of suggesting it, but it doesn't always manage to do it. And I found sometimes for whatever reason, it just starts suggesting completely the wrong email address. Like for for a week, <laughs> a while ago, it was suggesting my work email address for everything. It's like, I don't ever sign up to anything with my work email address. In the end, I re- fixed it by just removing my work uh, email address from my contact. But I don't know why it suddenly decided to prioritize that one over the other ones that I've been using for whoever knows how long. Or, you know, another one is if you have like clients or people you work with that have an unusual name that's hard to type. Like I had a, a, a Russian client who had a very, his name was just, it had a bunch of accent characters in it. And every time I typed it, it was like a project, right? So I just made a shortcut for his name and like that kind of stuff. It sounds basic, but I think a lot of people don't think to do it. And instead they make themselves try to figure out how to type that name every time and where the accent characters are, where yeah. a very simple automation can and simplify that and make sure you never spell the client's name wrong, which is also mm. a pretty good idea. Well, the other thing is, is how often do you spell your own name wrong? Maybe it's easier if your name is Jeff or David, but I know with Rosemary, I've got eight characters and, you know, there's a good chance that a couple of them are going to get typed in the wrong order every once in a while. So every time I make a misspelling of my name, I add it to the dictionary and fix it by putting in the right one. And it means that it should be always auto capitalized as well. Um, which it can be quite nice when your name also happens to be a herb. Well, Rose, that was actually the next tip I was going to give because for text expansion, uh, for, you know, for using this part of the iPhone, it's not just for text expansion. It's not just for mm. typing something short and making it long, but it's also the way to add words to the dictionary because yeah. the last thing you want is for you to type something correctly and your iPhone to automatically change it to something that's wrong or even just to tell you that that it's not the right word. And, you know, an example of that in my law practice, uh, I do mostly appellate law, which means I, I file something called a writ, W-R-I-T. And that's not a word that my iPhone knows. Maybe it thinks I, I forgot to put the E and I was trying to put write or something. And so if I if you go into the same place on your iPhone that I just described or your iPad and you say every time I type the word writ, W-R-I-T, I want you to replace it with the exact same word, W-R-I-T. Mm-hmm. What you're really doing is you're adding it to the built-in dictionary um, and therefore it won't show up trying to change it to something else. Um, you know, another example is I'm looking at my window and there's a, a local theater here that has like, you know, you know, Broadway type productions called the Sanger, S-A-E-N-G-E-R, which is a strange word. And my iPhone would never, would always think it's wrong and try to correct it to something else, singer or something like that. But by using this tip, I could make sure that the iPhone knows, no, no, no. If I type that, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, I think you can nowadays get away with just putting it in the replacement field because the phrase, the part that triggers it is optional. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I know for a while that, that that wasn't always 100% reliable. So I've got a lot of things where it's exactly the same thing in the phrase as it is in the 
in the replacement. Um, but it is really good to add things to, to your dictionary just because I'm sure there are things that all of us use every once in a while. It's like, oh, yeah, iPhone randomly corrects this to other word that is definitely not what I wanted. Thanks, iOS or macOS occasionally, because these sync between your iPhone and your Mac as well, which is quite useful for everybody yeah. who's on both the platforms. I think a good trigger for that for me is anytime I type it the way I want it and iPhone uh, fixes it, you know, I'm holding up air quotes, um, and you fe- catch yourself where you have to press the butt, the miss the misspelling that the iPhone perceives, you know, to, in, in order to make it stick, that's when you're like, Oh, wait a second. I need, if I'm ever going to type this word again, I'm going to fix this via automation. Uh, that reminds me, there was a post, uh, if folks uh, read uh, John Gruber's uh, website, Daring Fireball, he described something in December of last year where people who were tight, ty- and I was a victim of this too, people who would type 20 zero on the keyboard it suddenly wanted to be changed to 2.0, which was never, ever appropriate for me. And he has a long post explaining why that is. It, it, it was the, the name of some app was like, you know, app name 2.0, and it was changing it. But he, you know, his solution was exactly what I described. Just go in and say, you know, when I when I say 2.0, I mean 2.0. So that was another, another example of that. And, you know, another related one that I had for years, which I cannot ever explain, is my wife's name is Tina. Pretty simple name, T-I-N-A. But um, for some reason, and maybe it's not the iPhone's fault, I think it might be my finger's fault, but when I type it on my keyboard, it would think that I was typing Tona, T-O-N-A, instead of T-I-N-A, which makes no sense to me because I don't think Tona is a word. Maybe it is over there in England, Rose, I don't know. But I don't think so. Here in America, no. So why would it ever think that's what I was trying to type? But um, but again, I fixed it by telling the iPhone, if you ever see something and you think I'm typing Tona, just go ahead and change that to Tina and that fixed that one. Um, The the last tip that I give for text replacement is for characters that cannot otherwise be typed. You know, punctuation symbols that either can't be typed using the iPhone's keyboard. And an example of one is one that we as lawyers use. People often call it the paragraph sign, or if you want to be fancy schmancy, you could call it the pilcro sign. But that's a character that the iPhone can display perfectly fine. There's just no way to type it. Um, but if you add it into your dictionary and say, whenever I type, you know, this little, you know, two or three keys, replace it with this, that way you can use the paragraph symbol or, you know, other things like that. So, um, so anyway, you know, so I, I, the, the bottom line for me is that there is just a wealth of things that you can do with text replacement on the iPhone that will make your life, you know, make you more efficient, but it was also just make you want to pull out your hair less often, which I think is always good. So, uh, so I like starting there. Definitely. I agree with that. And also, sometimes you can even do things in specific applications. Um, like, for example, I know the the IDE, um, the program that I used to write applications at work every day, that actually has the option to have certain text expansions in it. Microsoft Word usually has a dictionary as well. So if there are things that you only need to be able to have in certain environments, then you can use those in them as well. Like I know Pages on the Mac has a dictionary as well as having um, the the built-in um, text replacement in macOS as well. So it's worth having a look at those if if you need something like that too. Let me let me interrupt there for a second though, because there's one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize when you're using the native text replacement um, and you're building it on the on the iPhone or iPad, you cannot create multi-line text replacements, at least not in my experience, unless they fixed it and I haven't caught that. But on the Mac, you can, and it's kind of a mm-hmm. secret feature. You hit option return <laughs> at the end of a line and it creates, like, if you want to say best regards, comma, new line, Jeff, right. 
the native text replacement looks like you can't do that because it's just one line. A carriage return is not allowed. But if you hit option return, it actually adds a return and you can have two a two-line text entry. And then when you go over on the iPhone and iPad, it'll work. And I just think a lot of people aren't aware of that. So I was not aware of that. That's interesting. For me, anything that's more complicated they like like that, that's when I use text expander. I didn't even realize that that was possible. Yeah, sometimes every so often it'll bug out and lose lines or it'll insert it when you've typed it and it will just smush it all onto one line. Um, and I'm not quite sure what's going on there. I have a feeling that iOS uh, text expansion was never built to support uh, multi-line uh, text strings, which is a shame. Um, so uh, it, that that's where something is getting lost. But it's still there on the Mac and it definitely works on the Mac too. Um, for So for two or three very occasionally line things, I, I still use the built-in text expansion. Yeah, it, I guess it comes with a, like a, a warning uh, label, you know, it's like, don't get too fancy because that, I think <laughs> it will not work if you like, I've never tried it with like multiple carriage returns, but I suspect you may have a problem. Mm-hmm. So, so where is that line for you, Jeff? When, when do you go from, you said, you know, you go to text expander or something gets a little more complicated. What type of automations are you doing in text expander? Well, first of all, some of the same automations I put in Text Expander, like the email ones. Um, so I have it sort of double in both places. And of course, on the iPhone, if I switch from the, the regular keyboard to the Text Expander keyboard, I can actually literally use them there. But most for me, I usually use Text Expander when I'm thinking about my computer, whether it's the PC or the Mac, because it works on both platforms. And so, you know, some of the things that I just described for iOS, I have repeated there. But then I have things that go beyond it. You know, I have like things that are specific to my law practice. And, and you know, this is going to be different for everyone, whether you're a doctor or, or a you know, plumber or whatever your line of business is. You know, there's probably words or phrases that you type frequently. And, you know, Text Expander can just save you so much time and be so much more efficient and make you so much more precise. And a perfect example is as a lawyer, as a litigator, I'm often, you know, telling a court, you know, you should do this because this is what was done in another case by the Supreme Court of my state. And the way that you um, cite to that is you cite to to the, what in the old days was an actual book um, that it would be in. And so here in the southern part of Louisiana, it's a book called The Southern Second or Southern Third. But I mention all of that because there's a precise way to cite those volumes. It's an S and an O and a period. And then I like to put a non-breaking space so it doesn't, you know, split the the phrase. And then either it's the number two and the letter D. It's it's got like its little thing that to make it look correctly. And I don't want to have to worry about typing that correctly every time. So I have a very simple shortcut that if I just type SS2, it automatically expands to the Southern Second Book. SS3, the Southern Third, things like that. And so it's it's an example of what I was talking about before. It saves me time, a lot of time, but it also is more precise. It means that I'm always doing it correctly every time. I'm always make sure that the S is capitalized and the O is not capitalized. So that, you know, I didn't I don't make a mistake just because my fingers were hidden holding down the shift key too long. So I use it for that and you know long client names that I don't want to have to type correctly every time. I use that a lot and I love that text expander is cross-platform. So once I do it on my PC or Mac, it works in the other place too. Um, and that works great. But the, the more complicated one that I've been doing all the time, and I, I could go on forever with Text Expander, but I'll just mention one more. Um, and it's so simple, but I use it all the time. And here's the problem that I'm facing. And there's many solutions to it, but this is my solution. Oftentimes, I copy text from somewhere, something online, something from another brief, something from, doesn't matter where it is. And I just want to paste it someplace else without the formatting. 
Mm-hmm. And most of my life as a lawyer is in Microsoft Word, and there is a built-in command in Microsoft Word to paste without formatting. And you could assign a Microsoft Word shortcut to it, but then that only works in Microsoft Word. I like having something that works everywhere. And so I have the most simple t- 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 formula in the world um, in Text Expander, where I simply tell it that the content type is plain text, which is going to take out the formatting. And then I just, you know, use the little, you know, click an icon for a little macro and put keyboard, uh, put clipboard rather, and then give it an abbreviation. And the one that I've used, which makes no sense except to my brain, is the two X's next to each other and the letter C for clipboard. So every single time I type XXC, which I can do with my left hand alone, it will take whatever's on my clipboard and paste it without the formatting. And that may sound simple, but it is useful to me all the time. It is useful when I'm writing emails and I don't want to, by mistake, change the formatting of the email that I'm in in Outlook. When I'm writing a brief and I want to take the format of the brief I'm using, not the place that I took it from. When I am writing a blog post for my website and I just want plain text and I don't want what I was copying something from. I mean, I I use it all the time and there's just so simple. It's the simplest automation in the world but it makes me more efficient and it makes me happy. <laughs> I use it. I mean, I can't even imagine the number of times I use it a day. When you used um, the, the Text Expander app, they give you a little report of how much time the app saved you each month. And one of these days, I think they're going to tell me, oh, by the way, just this one saved you two hours right there. And everything else was just another hour or something. I, I love yeah, that shortcut. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I like the intentionality you brought to the snippet to say, it's a keyboard shortcut I can trigger with one hand. And I think that like, if it's something you're going to be using often, you should think about that because that can really help kind of speed things up. Another thing about that, and I know this is mainly on Mac, but it doesn't require you to hit an alternative keyboard on the iOS mm-hmm. devices. It's just a very smart way to do that. And and honestly, I think everybody who uses Text Expander needs to have the paste plain uh, paste plain text. I mean, uh, the OS does have some support for it. Sometimes, you know, you hit ver- various combinations of keys followed by the letter V, and you get a plain text import. But there's nothing like having an app like like Text Expander. Just make sure it's rock solid and works everywhere. Yeah, and I also mentioned on the iPhone and iPad, I, I used to have using the sh- the shortcuts app. I had something that did the same thing, and it wasn't. It didn't work all the time for some. I don't know. Sometimes I don't understand why shortcuts isn't doing what it should do. But I know always that if I'm typing on the iPhone or iPad and I switch my keyboard to the um, the text expander keyboard every single time I type XXC, it's going to work. And it's just nice to know that something's going to work. Yeah, yeah, it really is, and that is the magic of you know setting these things up yourself um you know once you once you've done that then you know it's going to work in all the apps it doesn't matter whether or not the 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 application sub- supports the standard command for pace without formatting which is command shift v um because it you you're just you're just typing the thing that you know will give you plain text this episode of the automators podcast is brought to you by fitbod go to fitbod.me/automators to get stronger faster with a fitness plan that fits you and you get 25% off your membership. It's very normal for people to start considering their health and fitness around this time of year, but between balancing work, family, and everything else you've got going on, it can sometimes be hard to make fitness a priority. What you need is a program that works with you, not against you, and that's why you need FitBod. FitBod's algorithm learns about you, your goals, and your training ability, and will craft a personalized exercise plan that's unique to you, and their app makes it incredibly easy to learn exactly how to perform each exercise. 
Personal fitness isn't about competing with other people. You don't want to look to others and try to stack up against them and do what they do. What you need is something that will work for you. That's when it'll really stick and when you'll see the results you're looking for. FitBod uses data to create and adjust your dynamic fitness plan, and you'll have instant access to your own personalized routine and their fantastic app, so you can make progress on your own goals from anywhere. Before COVID, I had a gym membership, and to tell you the truth, I wasn't super happy with it. I didn't like the music they played super loud. I didn't like people yelling at me all the time. It's just not my thing. And when I started staying home, I got a subscription to FitBot. I gave it a list of my existing equipment, and it started giving me exercises. And I've got goals right now, and I'm working through them, and FitBot is helping me. What I love about the app is it doesn't scream at you and doesn't play loud music. It just gives you exercise with your equipment. And if you decide to add something new to your gym equipment, it will create exercises around that for you as well. I'm just really happy with it. The power play here is to set up a FitBod routine and then watch something that you like on TV. Like I often watch YouTube videos about people like Aristotle while I'm sitting here doing crunches. And it actually works for me. I am much happier with FitBod than I was with the gym and I'm not going back. Everyone's fitness path is different, which is why FitBod does so much work to make sure they customize things exactly to suit you. They make sure to learn from your last workout so your next will be even better, whether you work out twice a day or twice a week. FitBod even tracks your muscle recovery to make sure your plan is balanced with a variety of exercises to make sure you're not overworking anything. The FitBod app is so simple to use and recently got updated with a fantastic new design with brand new HD video tutorials shot from multiple angles to make sure that learning each exercise is a breeze. And it also integrates with your Apple Watch, Wear OS smartwatch, and apps like Strava, Fitbit, and Apple Health. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive, but FitBot is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year. But you can get 25% off your membership by signing up at fitbot.me automators. So kick off the new year right and get your customized fitness plan at fitbod.me slash automators and you'll get that 25% off your membership. That's fitbod.me slash automators for 25% off. And our thanks to FitBod for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. So Jeff, you were telling us uh, before we started recording that you have a really tiny automation that you really wanted to mention about email or filtering or filing. Um, can you can you share that with us? Sure. And there's nothing complicated about it, but it is so useful to me. I am, you know, I use email all the time. It's that's how I communicate with clients and everything else. Um, I laugh when I talk to my teenagers because they barely touch email for them. They barely even touch texting. You know, if you want to communicate, you use, I don't know, Discord or whatever the new thing of the day is. But for <laughs> me, I live in email. And sometimes I'm accessing it on my PC here at work. Um, and one of the things as a lawyer that I need to do is take an email that's associated with one of the cases I'm working on and file it into my document management system that's associated with that case. And that's pretty easy to do on my PC because my PC is, uh, the, the the document management system we use called iManage is integrated into Outlook. So there's a mm-hmm. number of ways to do it. But then if I'm using my iPhone or my iPad or my Mac, I, I lose those tools. And so one of the things that I have set up, and you know, if, if anyone out there is using a, a document management system, a DMS, I'm sure they have something similar they can do. But I have created in my inbox 
a folder that's called move to. And within that folder, I have created all of these um, folders that are essentially shortcuts. The way that I can do it is within the move to folder, I'll have something that's called, for example, MT, just short for move to, MT-Smith versus Jones. And then I tell my PC that anytime something is placed into that folder, what I want you to do is move it over to the appropriate folder of my document management system associated with that case. Um, my PC um, is on all the time at my office. Mm -hmm. I really never travel with it. I, I just keep it there and plugged in all the time. So I know that no matter where I am, no matter what time of day it is around the world, anytime that I move something into that folder, which I can do very easily on my iPhone or my iPad, it gets filed away in the appropriate place. And that is so critical for me because I get so much email every day that if I don't file something where it goes, I know in theory I should just be able to search and find anything, but that's really not helpful. What I really want to say is if I'm working on the Smith versus Jones lawsuit, I want to see every email associated with that lawsuit, but not the 500 other cases I have, just that one. And so filing things appropriately is critical. And it's it's also part of a sort of a triage for me because lots of times mm -hmm. I get emails in and I just need to look at the email and that's all I need. And then I just put it away and I'm done with it. And being able to, on my iPhone, just very quickly select move, you know, use the little move function on my iPhone and put it into that folder um, or really that shortcut. It's the, the one that begins with an MT and then has the case name. And then my computer does all the hard work on the back end. Boy, mm -hmm. that saves me a lot of work. So anyone out there that has in a similar situation, um, whenever I show something like that to the other attorneys at my law firm, they're always like, wow, show me that too. Um, it, it, that's, it's, it's a great time saver. Yeah, that is really smart because, you know, it, it, it again is setting it up in one place so that it works in all the other places. Right. Mm -hmm. um, right. And that, that is, that is Genius. I I have some folders. Um, I I don't do this with email, but I have some Dropbox folders called or a Dropbox folder called Automated Action, which has subfolders. Which means that when stuff lands in those subfolders, my always on Mac Mini at home just goes, "Yep, I'm I'm on it," and deals with whatever it is for me. And it's the same kind of principle. It gives me the same access everywhere. With sure, and I've heard that, you and. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I've heard you and David talk about like a, a program called Hazel that you use in the Mac that, that you put something in a folder and it sends it somewhere else. And I don't use my Mac in that way enough to use it, but mm -hmm. it's the same idea. It's so nice yeah. that you, you put it here and then it does the rest. Yeah, exactly. And that that's really smart. I should look at doing that for email because I have some things where uh, I need rules to automatically run. And uh, I'm pretty certain I can make something happen with the always on Mac mini and the mail app. So mm -hmm. I'm going to be stealing a leaf out of your book there. It's really fun, though, just the idea of it, knowing that you triggered something and now a computer somewhere else in the world is working for you. I I find that very empowering. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I'm a nerd. <laughs> it is pretty awesome. The other thing that I know that you use, Jeff, which is um, a pet love of mine, is Keyboard Maestro. Um, because Keyboard Maestro, of course, is magical. Um, I, I think if you wanted it to do it, then you could probably get it to orchestrate an entire musical, but I'm sure you're using it in a lot of novel ways. Um, can you share some of those with us? Okay, well, let me begin by saying that it may be magical, but it's also darn confusing for those of us who are not the automator gods like you and David, because the only reason I started to use Keyboard Maestro is because you two talked about it for so long on this podcast. It's and then working. David came out with, And then David <laughs> came out with his field guide books for here's how you do it. And I'm like, you're basically putting it on a plate and teaching me. I was like, okay, I just got to go ahead and do it. So it's, and then that, that's now been, you know, a year or two now that I've been using it. Um, I, I will admit that when I open up Keyboard Maestro on my Mac, I do sort of have to, you know, suck in air for a little bit because I look at all the power that it has and I'm like, 
whoa, what am I going to do here? It's, there's a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you work through it, sometimes with a guide like one of yours, David, you know, I can get through it and I can, I can you know, put together little automations. And, you know, I'll give you a perfect example of one that I use all the time. The way that I work, um, and this is strange, not many people probably work this way, but, you know, I use a PC in my office because I have to use the PC in my office. And I have a laptop computer that I'm staring at right now because we're talking and I'm in my office talking to you all right now. But my laptop computer is closed it's connected to an external monitor, an external keyboard, and I never move it. it I, I, I mean, I always joke that if somebody told me that they taped my laptop to the desk, you know, eight months ago, I would not be able to disprove that that actually happened because it just stays right there. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't use my laptop because when I work at home, and, you know, I, I tend to work at home at night and on the weekends and stuff, and, what you know, I definitely need to access things on my PC, but I don't want to have to lug my PC back and forth and everything else. And so what I use is, um, well, before I talk about Keyboard Maestro, I use something called Log Me In, which is just one of the many remote access software options that are out there, um, like go to my PC or something like that. And it allows me to access my computer from where I, wherever I am, often using a Mac or an iPad. And so when I travel, 99% of the time that I travel, well, 100% of the time that I travel, I take an iPad with me. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, I don't bother taking that PC because I know that if I need to get something done on my computer, like something using the specific document management software I was talking about before, I just fire up my iPad and then just use Log Me In to connect to the PC, which is always on in my office, and uh, and do what I need to do. Um, but getting the access can be a little difficult. And this was a perfect use of Keyboard Maestro, especially a skill uh, that y'all have talked about before, which is Keyboard Maestro's ability to actually look at a part of a screen. Because when you have apps, and Log Me In on the Mac is an example of it, it's an app that does not really want to be automated. Um, but that's okay, because Keyboard Maestro lets me get around that. I can just tell Keyboard Maestro, you know, when I, when, when I press one key, I want you to log me in to my, to my Mac at my office. And if I don't use Keyboard Maestro, that takes like 15 steps of clicking here and moving here and waiting for this and typing this in and doing all that nonsense. Um, but with the shortcut through Keyboard Maestro, I can just type one little special combination of keys, and it will start the program, and then it will wait for you know, something to appear on this part of the screen, which means it's writing for input, and then it can type my username, and it can do this and go here and type there, and then get to the PC and log into the PC, and all of those steps that I do just about every single day of my life, sometimes multiple times, um, it just does it automatically, and it would not work but for, well, that magic you talked about of Rose, of Keyboard Maestro being able to look. Um, and so that is just such a useful um, set of actions. And it's something that it took me a while to piece it together. And I had to learn that you had to put like a little timer in, you know, wait five seconds before you do the next command. But after some trials, uh, now it works seamlessly and I love it. Yeah, the, the waiting command is really, really useful, especially if you're using that that really great action for click at image um, because you can wait until it appears on your screen um, because I, I I frequently end up using pause until conditions are met. Um, there's a couple of applications I use where it just takes them a while to launch, even on an M1. I don't know what they're doing. Um, so I just, you know, activate it and then pause until it's the front window, please. Um, and then and then I'm good to go. But even then, sometimes that's not enough because the front window, it may be the front window, but the graphical image is not loaded yet or something. So <laughs> so I, I actually go even more basic and just add like add three seconds to the end of that. You know, pause until it's loaded, wait three seconds, then look. Because that's a three mm-hmm. second delay, but you're still way faster than if you were 
doing it manually and you can literally just push the button. Have you done this thing, Jeff, where you push the button to run the automation and then you like go do something else and come back and find yourself <laughs> logged in? I haven't mm-hmm. done that before, but I, but I agree with the first thing that you said that when you, when you put those little weights in there, you know, in theory, maybe you're waiting one or two seconds more than you needed to, but you overall just save yourself so much time that I can hit this keyboard combination and then turn and go to get the brief that I'm going to write or my iPad, you know, up, you know, I do whatever I need to get myself into my work mode and my Mac because of keyboard maestro is going through all the tedious nonsense of getting logged in. And I love it. The pause until conditions are met. One of the options there is found image condition, um, which is really great because then you can say, hey, wait until you fi- found this image, then wait an extra second because sometimes the JavaScript still needs a bit of time to load or something and then and then go. And that is super useful. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the first reason I started using Keyboard Maestro was to automate that one task, which used to drive me crazy. But I've I found it useful for other reasons, too. I mean, I like the application switcher that's part of Keyboard Maestro as an alternative to the, to the mm-hmm. Mac's built-in application switcher. Um, yeah. I like that you can do other simple ones. Like, I have a simple little automation that every time I use Microsoft Word on my computer, and I'm using Word every day, um, because I have an, a 27-inch iMac screen at home, it's a huge screen, and Microsoft Word, by default, wants to open in sort of a little, win- a smaller window with things, you know, a little bit smaller to see. And so I just have a very simple keyboard maestro that says, anytime you see Microsoft Word start, then just pause for a second and a half and then resize the front window to, I think I use like 1700 by 1200, which is a nice size on my screen that it doesn't take up the full screen. So I can still sort of get to my desktop on the side there, but it takes up most of my screen. Um, and it's perfect. And I, you know, it means that just anytime I start Microsoft Word, Keyboard Maestro worries about putting it into the mode that looks right for me. Um, and I love that. And so that, that that's, that's a nice little useful command. Whenever you start this application, do X. Real, really cool. And, and the nice thing about this, Jeff, is you're building a skill set uh, around that app. So, you know, I'm sure it took you a while the first time you set up that login script, but now you've got, you understand how those tools work. And it took you a while the first time you said, you know, trigger something on an app launching. But now in the back of your head, you know, hey, that's something I can do. If, you know, if I have another use for that, it's going to be a lot easier to make it the second time, or even maybe I can just duplicate the word script and, um, and then, you know, make changes on that. But it, it is a, um, as an automator, I feel like these, this is not a skill set you need to build out immediately. You build it gradually. In fact, I think that's probably the best way to do it. Agreed. Um, so as somebody though, that is relatively new to keyboard maestro, how did you find that experience of making that first script, like the login script for your, your remote access? Was it, was it overly difficult? I mean, what were your pain points? Well, I mean, what made it easy for me is, you know, following a guide first. And and again, I, I feel like I'm trying to compliment you, David. It wasn't my intention, but you did have that keyboard maestro field guide. So yeah. I was able to follow your examples and, you know, do exactly what you do. And once, once I had created some of your, your examples, examples that I frankly wasn't going to use in my everyday life, but just seeing how things piece together and that you move in components, then that, you know, you got to sort of start, you know, once you've done it, you know, we learn to do things by doing them. And once you do it, that sort of, you know, teaches you how to do the next thing. And again, I've done the same thing for 
you know, I, I have a website and I've had it since 2008, but I am, I'm the last thing I would call myself as a programmer. So every once in a while, if I have to jump into the CSS portion of my website, you know, what do you, what do I do? You search on the internet for how did somebody else do this and how can I, how can I, you know, steal what they did, <laughs> copy yeah. that and just modify it to do what I do. So when, once you sort of see how something works the first time, then you can slowly modify it. And that's, and that, that's absolutely my advice to other folks. Cause again, if you just purchase keyboard maestro and just start using it, you're going to see so many commands and you're going to be so overwhelmed that you might be discouraged into not starting. Um, but but actually get in there and do some things. And, and you're right, I, I'm no longer scared to try to create something to do the next thing. And I realize that there's probably a million things Keyboard Maestro could do that I still don't know about yet. Um, but that's okay. I learn a little bit here and the next month I'll learn something else. And before you know it, you're making things that are pretty complex. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Doppler. In software development, secrets are private pieces of information that are just keys to unlock protected resources or sensitive information. So you can imagine the stressful days of configuring, managing, and sharing secrets across different teams and clouds. Well, those days are over. Introducing Doppler, the first universal secrets platform. It enables developers to automate away the pain of managing secrets and EMV files, which are a hidden type of file used when working with secrets. Doppler is your team's central source of truth, secrets, and app configuration across all environments and clouds. Whether your secrets are in Docker, AWS, Vercel, or anywhere else, Doppler works where you work, and as your stack evolves, Doppler remains simple. More than 11,000 customers across all company sizes, from startups to large enterprises, use Doppler so they can keep their secrets and app configuration in sync across devices, environments, and team members. Say goodbye to .env files, set up Doppler for your team in less than four minutes. Sign up at doppler.com slash L slash automators, and that's all lowercase. That's doppler.com slash L slash automators, all lowercase. Go there now. Our thanks to Doppler for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Jeff, um, have you dipped into the waters of HomeKit yet? I have. And, you know, the automation stuff we've been talking about so far has been sort of like getting work done, which is important and is great and makes you feel good when you're efficient. But HomeKit is like where I love to have fun with automation. And this this is the one that sort of brings a, a smile on my face more. Um, I love doing it. Uh, one of the big HomeKit things that I have in my house are the Lutron lights that, that anyone who's listened to this podcast has heard. People talk about a million times, but I, I love the Lutron system because they work really well. They're incredibly dependable. And so, you know, of course, the first thing that I ever did when I set them up is to have the lights in the front of my house, you know, come on at sunset, or, or you can put a certain amount of time before or after that, and then go off at sunrise. And, you know, that's something that we had tried to do through various ways in the past, and sometimes manually, and it's just so nice to have that happen automatically. Um, so it's the, it's the most simple automation, but, um, but it's really nice. Um, but I've got, a, I've got a bunch more, too, and I'll just go through some of them that I, that I enjoy using. One of them is uh, in the, we have a room in our house with our TV, our TV room, and I have one of the Eve motion sensors in there so that when somebody walks into the room, if the lights are off, it will notice the motion and then turn the lights on. And it's simple, but it makes you feel like, oh, this is really cool. You know, how nice of the room to turn the lights on for me. So it's a fun little automation. But one of the things I learned very quickly is that fun automation, you got to really think about it because you don't want to have lights coming on and off 
just because motion is triggered in a room. Because if you're watching TV and you have the lights off and you happen to throw your hands up in the air of, oh my God, can you believe what I just saw? You don't want all the lights to come out of the room. That would totally ruin the experience. Yeah. So there's a number of ways that you need to work with that. You know, the, the, and there's there's different approaches. You know, the one one of the things that I've done that has solved it for me is to set a duration in the Eve app. Um, and there, there's a setting in there that I have a duration of two hours, and it basically means that I need to have a full two hours of no motion being detected at all before this automation would ever kick in. Um, and, you know, for me, that's actually been enough that it's that it's never come on automatically. I thought I might have to push it back to three hours or something, but that actually did it. So if I walk into my TV room and the lights come on and then I walk out and turn the lights off and I come back in very quickly, I'm not going to have the same, you know, effect of the lights coming on. But that really happens pretty rarely. So, you know, the automation may be 90 percent effective, but that 90 percent of the time I like it. And the other people in my family thinks it's cool to think it's cool, too. So that, that that's a fun one that I enjoy using. Yeah, and it's really hard doing something like that when you've got other people that live with you, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, what if you are watching the movie and then suddenly just somebody else walks in the room and you lose the mood because the lights just, like, snapped on? Um, that's that's actually a very good solution to set a, a duration timer. And you're doing that in the in the EVE app, right? Mm-hmm. In the EVE app, yeah. I don't, you know, there are some things with HomeKit that you can do in the manufacturer-specific app, but not the Home app. And then there are mm-hmm. some things that are in the home app. Um, I think this is an example of one that you need to have the, the manufacturer-specific app come on. Yeah, though I I do think um, in general the Eve app, even if you don't have Eve hardware, it does have some options that the the home app doesn't have for automations, mm-hmm. um, like adding conditions to things. You can also do this with Home Plus or Controller for HomeKit and other things. I've solved the the lights coming on during a film by integrating my TV as well. Um, and so when it, when the TV starts playing something, um, then it then it dims the lights um, and closes the curtains and things like that. And then uh, when it finishes, well, wait a it, it you can't just it. say that. You just can't say that, Rose. <laughs> I, I've been playing with Home Assistant a bit, David. Maybe we'll do a future show on it. Well, just real quick, how, how are you tr- using your TV as a trigger? So um, specifically, I'm because I'm using Home Assistant for this. Um, you yeah. can tell when the Apple TV starts playing something. Um, and when it pauses. Um, and so I actually use that, which means that if I pause for a bathroom break, then the lights come back on. But um, yeah, and, and that's pretty cool. Um, what what a tease. Like Rose, Rosemary oh, Orchard is such I a I know, tease. but I mean, we don't have time to do an entire show on Home Assistant in, inside of an episode. But yeah, it is like things like, for example, um, yeah, like lights coming on in the bedroom in two o'clock in the morning because your motion sensor saw you move in bed. And it's like, oh, hey, I'll turn on the lights because it's dark that that's not very helpful. Um, so you do have to figure out like the right duration for things like that or the right positioning of the sensors or all of the above. And, and let me just tease further. Rose has convinced me to order home assistant. Mine hasn't arrived yet. There mm. will be a whole show on it. So just stay tuned. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. Sorry, Jeff. Sorry, Jeff. I, I'll share one more that I enjoy using. And this is another sort of a, a lights one. A lot, a lot of these home kit things have to do with lights coming on and off for me. But um, one that I like is, uh, a couple of months ago, we purchased at my house these things called a Hufi cam. It's just just a camera, you know, a camera for the outside of the house. And I've got one in my front yard, po- pointed at my front yard, and I've got one pointed at my backyard. This isn't really an automation thing, but I have to admit, since I've had them, I think it's really cool that I can just use my iPhone or iPad or whatever, or Mac, and, or Apple TV even, and, you know, you can very easily see what's going on in the front of your house, what's going on in the back of your house. Um, yeah. I've liked it um, because it's cool. 
And my wife, who's not very techie, she likes it just to know what's going on. So anything that can please both of us, you know, is a real hit. So, um, you know, I'm, I've been very happy with Eufy Cam Pro, but one of the th- or Eufy Cam Two. But one of the things that it does is it has a, uh, a motion detector on it, much like the Eve device I was talking mm-hmm. about. So I have an automation, an automation set up that for the one that's pointed at my backyard. Um, the way that my backyard is set up is you walk out of the back of our house and there's something that used to be a, a separate building garage. We now just, we don't use it for cars anymore. We now just use it for storage and stuff. But, you know, sometimes at nighttime you'll walk out there to go get something. You know, we have a, a second freezer back there and you might go grab something from the second freezer. And you don't want to have to go through the trouble of getting lights on and everything else. And so it's nice that with, um, you know, two things that we could do. First of all, we can just, you know, just using the regular built-in home stuff, we can tell Siri hey, you know, turn on the lights in the garage. And that's great because it turns on the external lights, it turns on the inside lights. But that's just, this is all just with Lutron switches. Nothing complicated about it, but it works great. But another thing is I have it set up with a motion detector on the Eufy cam that if um, motion is detected in my backyard and if it's 30 minutes after sunset all the way to 30 minutes before sunrise, so basically when it's dark, um, what I want you to do is turn on the lights that are in front of my garage, which basically, you know, provides some illumination throughout the backyard so that you can see what's going on. And this simple automation is nice for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, if I'm walking out in the backyard, it's nice to have lights come on automatically, much like, Mm -hmm. you know, walking my TV room. So, you, you know, you don't trip and fall. You can see what's going on. But it's also sort of like a security device, too, if someone else is back there, which hopefully would never happen. But if, you know, the bad guy is in my backyard and the lights suddenly come on because he's there, my hope is that that would be a form of deterrence. Um, But it's also nice because it improves the quality of the recording that I get from the Eufy Cam 2 Pro of backyard activity because it has a night vision on it, which actually works really a lot better than I ever thought that night vision would work on a camera. I guess it uses infrared or something like that. But what's even better than night vision is, you know, day vision or <laughs> when you actually have real lights on yeah. because that way, you know, should anything happen. Um, and we had to adjust it because when it, if it, at the high sensibility sensitivity, it might, you know, pick up like, you know, a, a an animal, a cat walking in the backyard or something like that. But once you figure out what the appropriate um, motion detection level is, um, now it works great. So there's a number of reasons that this little automation, you know, when you see things in the backyard, go ahead and turn on the lights and it's going to record it through the Eufy cam. Um, really nice. Yeah, I, I really like the Eufy products. I've, I've got several of their indoor and outdoor cameras. I also bought uh, one of the a couple of the Eufy spotlights where it's a, it's a LED spotlight with an incorporated camera that saves locally on device and uh, it is not part of HomeKit. They have not connected to HomeKit. I'm hoping that Rose's uh, encouragement to buy me uh, for me to buy a home assistant will help that. But um, it is, uh, I, I have generally been pretty happy with the UV stuff. It's not super expensive and it seems to be pretty reliable. Yeah. I found the Eufy stuff is great. I have several of their indoor cameras um, and I have an outdoor camera as well, which I've not got outdoors. It's inside of a, a storage cupboard that's attached to the building that I rent. I say cupboard. It's it's concrete. Either way, it's uh, a great place to put things like garden furniture and uh, MacBook Pro boxes um, when you end up ordering an iMac and things like that. And you want to keep the box because, you know, if you resell it you get more money if you've got the box, it's easier to ship. Um, But the thing that I noticed, um, and this applies more to indoor cameras than it does to outdoor cameras, is um, you can't necessarily use the motion detector in a camera to turn on the lights. Because what happens if you do it with an indoor camera, with certain positioning, if it's quite close to the lights, is it'll turn on the light, and then the lights will turn off, 
and then it'll turn on the light because what it's actually doing is it's comparing the number of pixels that change. And of <laughs> course, when when something goes from light to dark, a lot of pixels change color. So then it goes, oh, hey, there's motion, and it, it turns on your lights. Uh, this, this information may or may not have been brought to you by a solid 15 minutes of, why are my hallway lights turning on and off again? This is driving yeah. me insane. <laughs> An infinite um, loop. <laughs> yeah, and the worst part of it was is I'd set it up on my way to bed, and so I was lying in bed, and like, and the hallway light goes off, and then it flips back on, and so I turn it off, and it flips back on, and oh my gosh, it was driving me up the wall until I realized, oh, I'm using the camera to trigger that maybe i'll just use a regular dumb motion sensor indoors that's better <laughs> that's um, funny yeah yeah it's it's one of those things that depending on the positioning and how the lights are integrated with that it, it can massively affect it and i think the outdoor cameras are better at handling that because they've got the night vision as well uh but the indoor cameras oh don't do that people don't do that 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 was um in hindsight hilarious but in in the moment when i was really tired and cranky and just wanted to go to sleep it was like no just stop doing this please now so, Jeff, now that you've got a taste for HomeKit, are there any, like, HomeKit problems you're looking forward to solving or thinking about? No, I mean, it's just adding to things over time. You know, David, you had said something, I think it was on on Automators a very long time ago, or maybe it was Pack Power users, that you started off with HomeKit just by getting that first, I think for you, just like me, it was that first Lutron um, like uh, switch, and then you add to it over time, and then now you get another one, now you get another one. And then the same has been true for me. I, you know, when I first bought my first Lutron device, HomeKit had not even been invented yet. It was, I think that was in 2015 when it came out. Um, but then, but then it, it became HomeKit compatible. And then I added more and more and, you know, through, you know, Eve devices or other devices that I have, I mean, they have just slowly started to accumulate in my house and I'm not in the same situation where y'all are with all of your water sensors and all the other things you have, but I'm slowly getting there. And, um, and it's just fun. You, you get one more thing, you can solve one more problem or to be fair, just do something that's fun and just gives me happiness because it works, even if it wasn't necessarily a problem beforehand. So, um, so it's been nice to expand. You know, one of the things I, I, I don't know if I regret it or not, but I've been thinking about it because a few months ago I was so happy with the Eufy stuff that I also got the Eufy doorbell, um, which is nice and works well with the with the, the Eufy app, but it's not HomeKit compatible. And I knew that when I bought it. And of course, at the time, I'm like, well, maybe they'll add this down the road. Um, so far, I have not yet thought of how, like what I'm missing out on by it not being HomeKit compatible. Um, mm -hmm. Because I don't have any things that just, as one example, there's a sensor on there, like the sensor I have in my backyard. I can't think of anything that I would want to happen just because it's sensed activity in my front yard other than recording, and it already does that built in. That's what the product does. So um, I, uh, you know, I don't know that it matters that it's not HomeKit compatible, but that is one thing that I think about. Um, but I do feel like going forward, you know, anything I get in my home with some rare exceptions like that one, you know, as long as they're either HomeKit compatible or I know Thread is coming and that's going to be the next big thing, I feel like as long as I'm as I have something that works with those systems, I'll just be able to grow. And, you know, the mesh will increase over time and you can have even more triggers. And I still sometimes find myself limited by, you know, why can't I do this on HomeKit? Why can't I tell HomeKit that when something happens to send me a text message? I don't think that's possible right now on HomeKit. I'm sure there's other ways that y'all can tell me how to do that using third-party stuff or, or online mm -hmm. things. But, you know, I want HomeKit to expand and do more. And sometimes I get frustrated that Apple has not been moving more quickly. But, but they are improving it and it is getting better, which is good. Uh, I hate to do this to you, Jeff, but I'll tell you what the problem is with your doorbell cam. Because I have the same Go one. Go for it. Is you can't put it on your Apple TV. 
Oh, actually, that's a good point. Yeah, because yeah. what I love on the Apple TV, and I'm sure you know this, and folks don't have this, if you have multiple cameras in your house, there's a way on the Apple TV you can see just with one screen all the different cameras at once. Um, mm-hmm. Now, because I have a front yard camera, you know, the additional angle that I would get from a doorbell camera versus the front yard, I mean, it's so there's so much overlap there that I'm not really missing out. Okay. But yeah, that's the, that's the one thing I knew about. Um, and it hasn't been a big deal because I've already got one in the front yard. Yeah. If you want to do that on your iPad or even an iPhone, by the way, I'd recommend HomeCam. It's a it's a great little utility application. Um, the same person also makes uh, Home Run, which allows you to more easily do HomeKit control from your Apple Watch and I have that one, Home yeah. Pass to store um, all of the the like QR codes for setting up your devices. Um, but one other thing you're missing out on by not having a HomeKit compatible doorbell is chimes on HomePods, um, because I have a Ring doorbell. It's actually the peep hole one because I couldn't. Um, install something on the outside of my front door. I live in an apartment, um, but I could put it through um, through the peephole. And so I got the ring peephole and I'm using HomeBridge to get that into HomeKit, which means that I can see the camera in HomeKit. And also when it rings, I get chimes on my HomePods throughout the house, which is really, really nice. That is an excellent point. And I'm looking in my Amazon order history because just a few weeks ago, I spent 36 bucks that I would have saved if it had done that. Because what I did for that very same problem is I bought a second Eufy doorbell chime. And mm-hmm. so now when someone rings my doorbell, I have the, the Eufy hub, which is downstairs in my house, which you know, goes ding dong. Um, and then this thing that I bought on Amazon just a few weeks ago, and so I, it's probably literally only been tested a few times. How many people have run, rung my doorbell in the last week or two? But I have this second unit plugged into an outlet upstairs, and so it also dings. But you're right. I do have HomePod minis in my house, and it would have been nicer if I could have used those instead of this. So I guess, you know, the lack of support cost me an extra 36 bucks. But Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I, from what I've understood, it's actually different parts of Yuhi that do the cameras versus doing the doorbell, even though depending on which doorbell it is, it connects to the same base station as some of the HomeKit compatible cameras. Um, it's a bit of a, a bit confusing like that, but I think the doorbell comes from the same group that work on the robot vacuum, which is also not HomeKit compatible, though to be fair to HomeKit, there is no v- vacuum support at all. Um, so, you know, that's not Yuhi's fault there. And I know you were kind of making fun of me earlier about my leak detectors, Jeff, but I have found religion <laughs> on these things. I I think Rose is the one who really kind of got me to try oh, the yeah. the Cara Hub and like. Does your one, toilet leak that often? Because you may have been no, problems. but <laughs> I, I don't, you don't want to find out the wrong way. That's yeah. the thing, right? If there's if there's water, it's kind of already a bit too late by the time you notice it. So getting a Fair sensor enough. to say you know that actually your dog stole the 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 flood sensor and is chewing <laughs> on it is probably better story, than finding yeah. out your freezer leaked. Everybody knows, though, right? I mean, know somebody who had, like, my sister had a leak. They were out of town for a day, and they had a leak in the upstairs toilet, and it was like $20,000 worth of damage to the house because, you know, water is terrible when it leaks. And I thought, you know, 20 bucks and forever, I know, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I think I want to, like, up it and see if I can figure out a way when the sensor goes off to turn off the water main, but I'm, I'm in the research phase on that one. But... That's the thing about HomeKit, right? Once you once you nail down lights, then who knows where you're going to go next? I I feel like the next time we have Jeff on automators, he's going to have door locks, and I, I don't know, Jeff. Yeah, I, I know you too well. You're going to go all the way down this rabbit hole eventually. Ah, uh, you got me. This episode of the Automators is brought to you by New Relic. Monitor, debug, and improve your entire stack. Just go to newrelic.com slash automators and get 100 gigabyte of free data forever. No credit card required. 
If you're a software engineer, you've been there. It's 9 p.m., you're finally unwinding from work, but then your phone buzzes with an alert. Something's broken and your mind's already racing as to what went wrong. Is it the back end or is it the front end? Is it the network? Now the whole team's scrambling from tool to tool and messaging person after person to find and fix the issue. That won't happen if you get New Relic. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally buy separately, so engineering teams can see across their entire software stack in one place. More importantly, you can pinpoint the issue down to the line of code so you know exactly why the problem happened and can resolve it quickly. That's why the dev and ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. That next 9 p.m. call is just waiting to happen. Get New Relic before it does, and you can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data free forever, no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash automators. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash automators. That URL one more time, newrelic.com slash automators. And our thanks to New Relic for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. So, Jeff, I know you've been playing with shortcuts and experimenting. And I believe a little birdie told me that you may have stolen something that David did and made it even better. Can you tell us about this? Because I know a lot of people have got expenses to deal with and hate receipts, um, and I'm one of them. So please tell tell me how you're improving this. This is a shortcut that I use just about every day. So I, I was talking about how, you know, my real, my first love is not the computers, but it's my iPhone or, or maybe my iPad too. Um, and I love the idea of using a shortcut um, to scan receipts, which is an idea that I originally got from you, David, when you had your workflow video field guide back in 2015, which I don't even think is in print anymore. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't think you have this shortcut in your current one, but um, maybe you need to put this in a future one. But you had this shortcut, and it was a perfect example of what I was talking about before. It was a multi-step shortcut that I didn't really understand it at the time, but I followed your directions for, for you know, adding it. And then I modified it over time to do what I wanted. And so, you know, what I have is is similar to the one that you originally described in, you know, back in 2015, but I use it every day. And so here's what it does. This shortcut, it, uh, it scans receipts. So anytime that I get like a paper receipt from somewhere, which, you know, you get less and less nowadays as things get online. But um, every time I get a paper receipt at a restaurant or a store or whatever, I use the iPhone, I scan it, it stores it in a specific folder as a PDF file with a name and then with the date and the name of the place. Um, and this is useful to me for so many reasons. I mean, first of all, I can just throw away the paper receipt and I still have the actual receipt if I need it for, you know, tax purposes or, you know, dealing with the merchant in the future or something like that. But to my surprise, since I've been using this for so many years, it's also really useful as a way to sort of find out when I went to a restaurant or some other business. And, you know, a good example is, you know, I'm getting takeout dinner from, you know, the XYZ place. Um, I just pull up the last one or two times I went there in just a second using the files app on my iPhone or iPad. And I can just remind everybody, hey, last time, you know, my son had this, my daughter had this. And like, oh, yeah, you just get the same thing. And it's just, it's nice to, to be able to, to, to quickly see that. Um, so that that's that's the why of this is so useful. The, the formula is, you know, it's a little complex. And, and I and I sent it to you all. Maybe it can be attached to, to the, um, the show links or something like that. But there's basically, you know, three steps to it. I mean, the first thing that I do is I trigger the shortcut. And let me just pause right here. Originally, I just had one of these shortcuts. 
but I learned over time that it was more efficient for me to split it into two different shortcuts. And the reason for this is the way that I trigger this shortcut pretty much all the time is I have on the face of my iPhone, I have a widget, the shortcuts widget's pretty nice, and I have it on my second page, so it's the largest version of the widget. You can have like, I think, eight different shortcuts there. And so I have two buttons, and if I press one button, it's the button I use if it's a place that I've been to before, and that way, when I click the button, it brings up a list of those places I've been to before, you know, this restaurant that I go to frequently or the store I go to a lot. So I don't have to manually type in the name of, you know, Commander's Palace restaurant or something. I can just tap Commander's Palace and it knows that's where I went. Yeah. And then the next thing I do is tap on the date and it knows the date. And then it formats all of that in the format of like, you know, oh, then I have to take a picture, take a picture of the receipt and it takes the picture and it automatically formats it. And what I end up with is this picture that was taken and converted to PDF format and resized to something that it's not crazy big. It's like, you know, a, a 999 width. And um, it's got the title of the file is the date like 2022-01-04 you know, for January 4th, and then a dash, and then the name of the place, which is taken from that list that I just tapped on it. And then now it's, you know, the whole process has taken me a second, I mean, not a second, maybe three seconds total to yeah. tap the place I went, take the picture and have it saved appropriately. And then it's there and then I have it and it's great. Um, and if there's a place that I find that I'm going to, you know, frequently, I will open up the edit feature for this particular shortcut. And at the very, very top of the shortcut is a list function that are followed by the entries that I just have manually sorted in alphabetical order. And so if I, you know, if there's a restaurant called, you know, Didi's Cafe that I go to a lot, I can just type in once DD's cafe and put it in alphabetical order. And then I'll never have to type those words again. It will always be there in the future for me to tap on and choose it. And, and I love that shortcut. And I mentioned that it has a twin. The other version of the shortcut, which is the button right next to it, is if it's a sort of a one-off place that's not in my list. Um, it's the same automation, but instead of me tapping the name of the vendor, it actually has a text input field where I type the name of the vendor. Um, and if I find myself using the shortcut too often for a particular vendor, I'll, I'll put it into the other one. But I mean, I use this all the time. It is useful to me all the time. And it just, it's, for, it's, it's funny to me that something that I originally started just as a way to save a receipt without having to worry about saving the paper, I, I had no idea it was going to be so useful as sort of like this, um, this log of places I've gone in the past. You know, how long has it been since we ordered from this restaurant? Well, I can tell you exactly how long it's been. What did we get that we really loved last time we were there? Well, I can just look at the receipt and tell you exactly what we got. We can order it again. It's, 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 it's useful. I love it. Yes. Yeah. And I would suggest you could even make more versions of this. Like if you had um, work expenses like, and you want to just get those receipts, you could make a version that saves it to a separate folder. So you, that gets shared with your work or Dropbox your work or whatever. Great idea. Um, another way you could do that is like you could tie it all into one. You're like, is it one of these or do you want to type in a name? But I actually do think the idea of making multiple versions so you don't make the shortcut as complex and um, and you make basically make the election by which button you push, so long as you have room for the buttons, is in a lot of ways superior because you don't have to monkey around with that stuff or, or creating user interface and shortcuts, which really doesn't have very many tools to create user interface. Yeah. And I actually did it that way at first, David, that my first version of this shortcut, the first thing it did when you opened it is it asked you a question, is this a favorite 
or is this a new one? But yeah. most of the time, I find myself using favorite. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that sort of seems wasteful that I'm tapping that favorite button every time I start the shortcut. And if I found that by having two different shortcuts, you're, you're basically cutting one step out. And that doesn't sound like a lot of time, but considering that it's a shortcut that only takes about a couple seconds anyway, you know, cutting out an extra button that you have to tap, that makes a big deal. Yeah. One of the things that I would uh, suggest um, that it's potentially worth looking into for this is um, actually splitting um, this up a bit more and having the bulk of the actions in a separate shortcut that you only use with one shortcut. Um, And one of the things that occurs to me with, for example, your favorites is, I guess your favorites is a list and you're using the choose from list action with that. Um, But one of the things you could do is actually you could just have that in a shortcut which then takes whatever you've chosen and passes it to a run shortcut, which is the other shortcut. Because what happened in iOS 15 is um, when you ask, um, so you can say uh, a shortcut accepts input. um, And this is something most people have um, probably used before. It's with the show in share sheet option. And then you can say, I only want to select uh, uh, receive text input. And if there's no input, ask for. And then it can ask you specifically for text. And then what would happen is if you use a run shortcut and you, so you start with a shortcut that's got a list, uh, choose from list, and then it's run shortcut and it passes whatever your list option is through to the next shortcut, then that will, you know, skip the asking you for what is this place. And then um, if, if, but if you haven't done it and you just run that shortcut directly, then it asks you. Um, and the reason why um, I say this is because I have found before, if I have multiple versions of the same kind of shortcut, um, I end up needing to make a sub shortcut because otherwise my versions diverge. Uh, I make an improvement in one and I forget to make another. So I've tried to use sub shortcuts wherever I can as sort of a subroutine to keep the core logic the same uh, wherever possible, just because otherwise I end up with oh, wait, why isn't this saving to the folder? I'm sure I changed the folder. Oh, right, I changed the folder in the other version of this shortcut and I didn't change it here, and so on and so forth. And this bites me in all sorts of places in Keyboard Maestro and shortcuts and, and, and so on. And so I'm trying to break things down into the smaller subsections that I can reuse again and again. Yeah, that's a great idea. If I if I was preparing it from, from scratch today, I would absolutely do that. But as you mentioned, that, that feature didn't even come out to what iOS 15 last year. And I've been using a version of this shortcut for like six years now. So um, Yeah, and I can tell that this was based on that one I did because you're setting variables, which you don't do anymore in shortcuts now. It's all magic mm-hmm. variables. This is the part where Jeff regrets sharing this with us because we're going to start taking it apart for him. No, actually, that's the good thing because it's always, that's what you want to do is evolve things over time and make them better. And absolutely, that's that, that's the fun of it. So one suggestion I have is throw a few bucks at the Toolbox Pro guy and download the Toolbox Pro. I have Pro. Toolbox Pro, so, so I already have it. So okay, what would that add? So what can I do with that? Rather than take a photo, use the Toolbox Pro scan document command and see mm-hmm. how that works oh. for you. Okay, what's yeah. the advantage of doing that? Because it uses the built-in document scanner that the iPhone has. So now. it'll snap it to the edges of the receipt and so on so that you don't have like the table in the background and things like Get that, which town. is quite That's nice. awesome. Yeah, okay, it's that's amazing. what I'm going to do. Thank you. Well, the other thing that I would suggest is data jar. Okay, you've got all of these places with the fa- with your favorites. Why not just have a list in data jar and then data jar can just pull that out and it's really easy. Then you don't have to edit a shortcut. You just open data jar um, and you, you I don't know, you could call it, um, you know, my, my expense places or something like that. Um, and then you can just have a list and then you can just get that get that item and then choose from those 
And then what is Data Jar, easy. Rose? I don't know what that means. So Data Jar is essentially, it, well, it's a free app that you can download on the App Store. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's at datajar.app, but it's a place to store variables that you can use again and again and again between shortcuts. Now, hmm. Toolbox Pro also has um, global variables, but Data Jar has an advantage in that it's very specifically just data um, and it works uh, on all the platforms. It even works on the Mac if you're running shortcuts on the Mac and it's great for getting things out and you can you can do files and stuff in there too. But what I would suggest for this is when if you add a variable to DataJar, just make it a list of expense places and then you can put every single item within that list um, and that would there be all go. of your places and that would be super easy to maintain and you could even use it elsewhere if you needed to instead of just having all that information in one shortcut. I like it. Sounds good. I mean, the problem with shortcuts is it doesn't remember variables, so it has to relearn them every time you run it. And Data Jar Mm -hmm. gives it like a place to pull them from. Yeah, which is really useful when you need stuff that you can use again and again and again between shortcuts. Yeah, this is like your old Timex Sinclair. Didn't remember the variables, (laughs) neither neither the shortcuts. I guess what we need is a thermal printer for shortcuts. I guess that's what we really need. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I know that's not the only thing you do with shortcuts, though. Yeah, I'll mention a couple more. Here's two short ones. Um, one that I use, this is another one I stole from you, David, that was from one of your field guides way back when for calculating dates. It was just a very simple shortcut that, you know, you can either calculate the number of dates before something or after something. And as a lawyer, I often have like an order from a court that yeah. something is due 45 days before another date. And my brain can't calculate what 45 days is. So I just use this simple shortcut that I select, you know, either days before or days after or days between. And I put in the target date and enter the number of days, like 45 days. And it quickly shows me, you know, 45 days before March 16th is XYZ, whatever. Yeah. And I use that one a lot. It's really nice. I talk about and write about date calculators all the time. And that is an element of being a lawyer. Um, and the uh, occasionally I get an email from a listener like, how come you like did all this stuff about date calculators? Who cares? I'm like, you don't understand. There is a group of people that listen to me that want date calculators more than anything else. And, um, and shortcuts can do it. So that's yeah. good. So much yeah. so that I've actually tried. You can buy buy or download for free sometimes apps from the App Store that are date calculators. And I have yet to find one that works as well as the simple shortcut. So, yeah. you know, why use an app if the shortcut does it great? Yeah. So here's another one that I'll mention. And this was one that really saved my bacon when I went through something that hopefully none of the other listeners have to go through. And that is a hurricane. I live in New Orleans. So, you know, we have hurricanes. And um, on the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina in 2020, we had yet another one on the same day. How pleasant was that? Hurricane Ida. And Hurricane Ida was a bad hurricane. Um, and it's one that I didn't think it was going to be as bad as it turned out to be. And so we did not evacuate my home. Um, and we were safe. Don't get me wrong. Everything was fine. But one of the things that always happens after a hurricane is you lose power. And one of the things that usually happens is the power comes back pretty quickly but it didn't happen this time. Hurricane Ida shut down the power in New Orleans and it was just a gone pecan. We didn't know when it was going to come back. Turned out it took weeks. Um, and likewise, the cell towers, you know, the power that went to the cell towers went down. So cell service was incredibly spotty. And it was, you know, when you're in a natural disaster situation, being able to communicate with your loved ones, whether they were also in New Orleans or someone from out of town, you know, that was critically important. And one of the things that I learned is as I happen to use AT&T, but I'm sure it would be true for any carrier, as the carriers were slowly putting their cell towers back online, 
they were so overwhelmed because everybody was trying to call people and stuff like that, that it was really hard to get a signal. And I learned during that time period that one of the things that would work is if I put my iPhone into airplane mode, waited about 10, 20 seconds, and then turn it off airplane mode so it got a signal, it could sometimes, not all the times, but it could sometimes grab a signal and hold on to it long enough for me to get like a text or something out, and then it would often go down again. Um, and again, this is a disaster situation, but I've actually been in situations like, you know, years ago, I remember I would be in a, in a convention in Chicago that you used to go to too, David, where if you were in a certain room underground, you know, you got really bad cell phone coverage, but if you turned airplane mode on and off again, you might be able to, 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 to grab a signal. So here's where shortcuts come in. Instead of manually togging airplane mode on and off and on and off, I just made this simple little three-step shortcut that um, as I was sitting there, you know, doing nothing else <laughs> with uh, no power or anything, I told my, my iPhone, here's my formula. Number one, turn airplane mode on. Number two, wait 10 seconds. And number three, turn airplane mode off. And then I created, you know, how you can create a, uh, an icon as if it's an app to associate with the shortcut. And I put that right on the front of my iPhone. And so instead of, you know, it, having to dig deep and on and off and do all these other things, I could just have my phone in my hand, press the app, and just sit there and wait for 10 seconds. And it did its thing. And I would look and see, did I get a cell signal? Nope. Press it again. And, you know, it was so much nicer to be able to press one button instead of pressing, you know, a whole bunch of buttons. And then eventually... I would get that signal and I could get the message out to my sister and see that she was okay and everyone else. So it was like one of those shortcuts that I created on the fly. And I would love to say I'll never need to use it again. But in a time of, you know, a little bit of panic and a lot of aggravation, being able to make something simple um, that just, you know, saves you some trouble. Boy, that was really nice. Yeah. Well, I've got something similar because we have earthquakes here and, when we have an earthquake, I mean, if, you know, so long as it's not an earthquake, it's so bad that it shakes down the cell towers. They don't break. And usually we have power, but the problem is they get flooded. As soon as there is mm-hmm. an earthquake, everybody's checking in. And I have a shortcut that sends out a text message and gives my location and says I'm okay. And just like gets it out because you have like 30 to 60 seconds before the cell towers break down, you know. Is that one you've made available to your Apple Watch, David? Because that seems to me to be a prime candidate for the Apple Watch because um, not most shortcuts are useless on the Apple Watch. They don't necessarily have the way to input things in the way that we need, but that's a perfect candidate. That's a good one. I should put that one on my Apple Watch. But, you know, it's it's a, you know, it is funny, though, how automation can actually be very useful for those types of emergencies if you think about ahead of time. The only other one I was going to mention, it's a shortcut that I use all the time, is I have a very simple shortcut for logging meals that I do, not from like a calorie counting counting way, but just as a way to sort of keep track of what we made for dinner. And I, and I started this one during uh, the uh, the COVID uh, when we were, you know, at home every night and, you know, couldn't everybody, kids were work, doing school from home and we were home and everything was home. And, you know, what, what else are you going to do with all your time? Let's keep track of what we're making for dinner. And so I just created this very simple uh, shortcut that would have a text prompt of asking what the meal was. And it would ask for the date, which would often be that same date, unless I was filling in something from yesterday or something. And then it would uh, find a note uh, in just the notes app on my iPhone that had a specific name, like, you know, meals three, if I had, you know, the third one or something like that. And it would append text to that note. And this very simple shortcut would, you know, just with the, you know, couldn't be any easier to use. And it would note that, you know, on August 14th, we had, you know, lasagna. And on August 15th, we had something else. And as silly as it was to sort of track the meals over time, 
I've actually found that we're now using it. Like, you know, my wife and I sit around like, you know, what are we going to have this upcoming week for dinner? I'll just, you know, look at the note and you can just simply scroll through this list of, you know, hundreds of meals that we made. And like, oh yeah, I remember that time we made the such and such. That was really good. Let's make that again. And mm-hmm. um, and I even sometimes will go back into the note and put a little, you know, heart emoji for, for one that was really good. And it's, yeah. it's, it's not unlike what I was talking about with the scanning receipts earlier that, you know, having these little logs of things that you do in your life that you can later look back and, and use it in some other useful way. Um, it's really nice. And it's such a simple shortcut. And um, I really enjoy using it. It's really useful. Yeah, you could also add a thumbs down emoji for any meal that really didn't go to plan and <laughs> perhaps add in brackets what, why. Because I know I've done this before where I've bought um, some stuff to make a, a follower recipe and I've made it. I've gone, oh my God, this is awful. It's got way too much salt in it or something like that because the recipe said to add salt, but the sauce was pre-salted or something. And so I've I've taken, um, you know, I've, I've started adding that information to, um, I use crouton for my recipes, um, but uh, I think I should log... Uh, the food that I've actually eaten as well, just because I do forget. And I do tend to eat the same thing most of the time anyway. So it helped for planning my grocery shopping uh, to do that. My wife is a former chef, the primary cook in our house, and everything that she does is excellent. I would never have a need to use a thumbs down rose for anything oh, that she makes. In, in that case, I'm <laughs> very certainly glad. I would not let her know, that's for sure. <laughs> well, no, no, definitely not. Um, but for, for me, where occasionally I'm making things and they go horribly, horribly wrong, or I try one of those other meals, it's just like, oh, this is just not good. I really need to stop doing that because when they're really not good consistently, it's, it's a sign that, Rose, you should actually cook food. Um, but there we go. <laughs> or you could run the automation to check the the who prepared it field, and if it's made by your oh, wife, that, it, that's it a just, smart one. Yeah, it just always gets. It can a automatically thumbs up. pre-populate the thumbs down if yeah. I was the chef. That's thumbs a good up idea. for you, thumbs down for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Jeff Richardson, you said, well, I don't know if I automate enough to justify coming on the show. Uh, you just talked for like an hour and a half about automation, man. You, you're an automator. Mm-hmm. I got news for you. Well, thank you for all the inspiration that you provide to all of us through the show. It's it's great to learn how to uh, improve your life, making little, simple little efficiency things here and there. I love doing it. It's a lot of fun. If you were sitting with me, I'd get you one of those little sheriff badges, but it would say automator right across the front. Yeah, yeah. We should, <laughs> right. we should do some, some, some kind of badge, David. I quite like the idea of having like the automator's pin where, that people can uh, get and show off their amazing automation-ness. Um, that's a word now. Well, I think we got to do just the, uh, the, you know, like the Captain America shield logo of the podcast oh, with the big A yeah, on yeah. it. I think that's what we yeah. got to do. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah, like if, we made, if we made pins like that, I think, I think we got to do that. I mean, the that. question is, is if, is Jeff willing to be our guinea pig for this sort of thing and, uh, you know, give it a whirl and see what the preview models, because, you know, Always. we need somebody to test this. <laughs> yeah, we need a beta tester, Jeff. All right. Um, so uh, you can find Jeff at iPhone JD, but not just iPhone JD. Jeff also has an excellent podcast that he makes with my friend Brett Bernie. Tell us about your podcast, Jeff. Oh, thanks for mentioning it, David. I'm having so much fun with this. We started last year. Uh, Brett Bernie is a, is a f- former practicing attorney, um, and uh, he and I have been friends for a while. And we have this podcast that every Friday uh, we record called In the News. And the name comes from on my iPhoneJD.com website. Every Friday, I have sort of a collection of things that I've seen in the news that look sort of interesting, and I have a link to them. So even if you're not an attorney, you might want to check it out every Friday. But we use that as a jumping off point where Brett and I talk about the news of the week pretty quickly. And then we end up the show with something that any automator listener would love, which is a section called In the Know instead of In the News. It's basically our tips of the week. And Brett and I each offer a tip 
for, you know, whether it's an automation or an app that we like or a website or something that just makes, uh, you know, brings delight to our life. And so um, if I would love it if folks checked it out. We're having such great fun with the podcast. It comes out about in the middle of the day uh, on Fridays here in the United States. And uh, it's not a very long podcast, but um, we're having great fun with it and getting great feedback. So everybody should check that out. It's great. You can find it at inthenewspodcast.com. What I love about it is the energy. You guys are clearly having a ton of great fun while you make it. And uh, it, it is my weed pulling podcast. I listen to you guys while I pull weeds. So, you know, there you go. Check that out. Um, and we'll put links in the show notes. We are the automators. You can find us at relay.fm slash automators. You can find the forums at talk.automators.fm. What else should I link, Rose? Everything else okay? We got it covered? Well, I think you should probably link people to the Max Sparky Labs, you know, because you've been doing some stuff there. And when we were talking to Jeff as part of the planning, he mentioned that he'd been enjoying that. So I feel oh, like thanks. maybe you should put a link to that in the show notes. All right. It's well, a lot of fun. If you ask, then we can do that. And um, <laughs> we uh, will see you next time. Have a great day. Bye, everyone.